The intentionally ugly Christmas sweaters we wear today can trace their origins back to the original mass-produced Jingle Bell sweaters of the 1950s. But the ugly Christmas sweater faded into relative obscurity for 30 years or so, until the 1980s, when they first started to become really fashionable. For several years, these ornate, colorful Jingle Bell sweaters remained popular, even showing up in classic Christmas movies from the 80s. As the 90s rolled around, these silly, stuffy sweaters mostly went out of fashion. But in the early 2000s, they came back more popular than ever. No one can say for certain what reignited our fascination with the ugly Christmas sweater, but some sources trace the trend to another country, which might have had the first ever ugly Christmas sweater party in Vancouver, Canada in 2002. Yeah, and that is the origin story that we are looking into right now. Maybe we do know what reignited our love for the ugly Christmas sweater. I'm joined now by authors of the ugly Christmas sweater rebellion, Chris Boyd and Jordan Birch, who claim that they are the ones who reignited, of course, our obsession with ugly Christmas sweaters. Chris, Jordan, thank you both so much for being here. I really appreciate you both making the time. Uh, Now, I want to get into a conversation with you both about how this really began. But maybe, Chris, uh, let's start with you. Uh, You, in your own words, can you tell us a little bit how this began and how you and Jordan decided that you were the ones that really held claim to this? Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having us on the show, Chelsea. Uh, so 20 years ago, Christmas sweaters were a niche clothing item, mainly enjoyed by some grandmothers and elementary school teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, with our friend uh, Scott, we decided to host a party focused on this fun and creative attire. So we, we coined the term ugly. We thought maybe tacky or cheesy, but ugly really seemed to capture the essence. Um, ugly in a lighthearted way, that is. So we threw this party back in 2002. It was, uh, it, it was fun. It had all those festive elements. And uh, we decided to wear uh, some matching Christmas penguin sweaters and uh, coined it the Ugly Christmas Sweater Party. And uh, it really took off on us unexpectedly. Um, uh, It kind of grew up and blew up in popularity, uh, a house party for a couple of years and moved on to pubs. And then within, uh, I think on the fourth or fifth year, we went down the Commodore Ballroom, attracting crowds of over a thousand people. Which is wild, uh, the success that it had. But I want to go back to those matching penguin sweaters that you coined as your ugly Christmas sweaters. Jordan, what, where did those ones come from? Where were the original ones that you and Chris put on and said, hey, look, we should, we should maybe you know, take this into a, a party atmosphere? How did you stumble upon them? <laughs> yeah, good, good evening, Chelsea. Um, yeah, speaking of the 80s, both being uh, 80s babies here, uh, both of us born in 82, uh, when we were cruising the mall, um, I think the days leading up to that first house party, Chris and I were notorious at high school and uh, first year university for, for dressing up. And we just loved costume parties. And we were we were cruising Coquitlam Center. And uh, I don't know if you ever heard of that store um, or remember it called Northern Reflections. Yeah, um, yes. <laughs> I think the name kind of, I mean, the sweaters and the attire were literally ref- reflections of the North. Um, you know, I think we found sweaters in there, you know, hand handmaided gems with, you know, cardinal birds on there and blue jays. And then, of course, there were these two matching penguin sweaters, like side by side. And we were like, we looked at each other and we just had a little moment. We were like, yep, 
and we walked out of there and we were already wearing them. Uh, thank you, or maybe no thank you, for the very vivid <laughs> reminder of <laughs> what was a big part of my youth. Uh, you probably could have just had a Northern Reflections Christmas party or just party in general, and it probably would have been a hit. But uh, but you feel that you have really, you really have begun the trend as we know it now with the ugly Christmas sweater, which, is, I mean, they're they're mass produced. You can get them at places like Lululemon now. I mean, they're really, they're all over the place. So what you what you touched on was something that has ballooned into this huge success. So Chris, you talk about the party that you threw and at first it started small. You described it a little bit about how the, the size that it really grew to. How quickly did you start realizing that you were really onto something that people wanted to be a part of? Well, we noticed that, uh, yeah, when you show up wearing matching ugly Christmas sweaters, I put a smile on people's faces, so it uh, people got a really big kick out of it. And I remember uh, that's kind of the reaction we got too, seeing you know Jordan's Aunt Mary wearing one, or I used to work in the old folks' home and see all these amazing gems, right? So uh, yeah, people seem to really enjoy it, and it, it's just word of mouth. But it, uh, it was a house party for a couple of years, then went to the SFU pub for a few hundred people, and to another pub for 400 people, and and then as I mentioned, just. Uh, really picked up steam after that. Um, so we, as Jordan mentioned, we just love dressing up and, and uh, we didn't anticipate this to, to happen the way it did. I think a lot of people trace it back to us. And, and again, we kind of helped coin the term and have some fun with it, you know? And, uh, and yeah, again, it's, uh, it's been a, a fun ride. Well, and there's also a charitable component to this as well. So, Jordan, can you talk a little bit about um, what the parties grew to and were they ticketed events? Were you raising money from the outset with the party? And then how does the the run then incorporate into this whole ugly Christmas sweater boom that, that you two have launched? <laughs> yeah, phenomenon or crazy times, however you want to point it. But um, yeah, as Chris was mentioning, when it did grow out of the confined space of our living room um, and we ended up at the Commodore in uh, I think 50 year there, um, it just became the hot ticket in town and we were selling out um, year after year. And I think kind of what really um, catalyzed this, uh, the notoriety of the Vancouver party and, and the origin of this whole craziness was just the actual experience at the party. It was really a 4D experience. It, you know, this was before a lot of technology. We had it snowing in the Commodore. We had barbershop quartet. We had eggnog chugging trophies for best dress, best group costume. We had like groups of like uh, friends from high school that dressed up as like a whole nativity scene one year. Um, it was absolutely just wild. Um, and it just kind of, you know, it, sparked something in us where we realized that, wow, this was the hot ticket. Um, and obviously we started generating revenue and proceeds and right from the beginning, actually, even that when it came out of the house, out of our living room, we just uh, chose a charity that meant something to us um, in that given year. Um, but fast forward about 10 years, um, we were kind of getting, you know, uh, to a place where you know, we wanted to jazz it up a bit and, um, unfortunately, we had a, a family friend, a really close friend of our old, our older brothers are the same age, and they were really, you know, best friends as well. And um, their close friend uh, Ashlyn actually got got ill with um, with cancer, and um, we decided as sort of a foursome that we're kind of co-producing this party um, is to um, send Ashlyn and her husband and her little girl, their little girl, on a, on a all paid, all inclusive trip to Disneyland, uh, wow. sort of give her a bit of a 
you know, distraction from what was really going on for her. And um, that was a kind of a crescendo peak moment in the evolution of the party. So again, it's been 20 years, but that was around our 10th year. And from then on, we we like, okay, we got it. You know, Ashton went and had that experience. Um, it was for a personal friend. How can we do better? How can we do bigger? And then we decided to actually partner with the Make-A-Wish Foundation of Canada. And I think since that time in those consecutive years, we had ended up granting uh, 10 wishes for kids with a life-threatening illness and everything from going to Disneyland or meeting a celebrity or a wish of their choice. Um, Chris, uh, let's go back to you in terms of what you two have turned these parties and these events that you've held over the last 20 years into into such a, a community builder. You've raised a significant amount of money for some some incredible causes. What What is the amount that you've raised or what's the impact that you feel that you have made? Yeah, so I think it's uh, the amount is around $250,000 um, dispersed to various charities, as Jordan mentioned, that uh, ones that were kind of meaningful to us over the years and uh, also creating those wishes in the uh, latter years of the party. But um, it, beyond the, the giving component, we th- these parties were amazing for connection, whether you're mm-hmm. family or friends or just complete strangers. People were coming together and, and, and sharing a moment of, uh, you know, over these ugly, cheesy, tacky sweaters. So we realized that connection was, was a big component of all the events that we did. And then uh, the kindness as well. So it's just the, uh, the Commodore Ballroom or during our dash, there was always that kind of vibe to it, very lighthearted, um, kind vibe to it. So uh, as 20 years ago, it was a while ago. So Jordan and I just turned 40 recently. And uh, the party has been on a hiatus since uh, COVID began. So we thought, wouldn't it be kind of fun to create a children's book, kind of capturing um, the essence of these ugly sweater events? And that is to connect, give, and be kind. So that's kind of what we did. We created this book that rhymes and has a, a really good message to it and actually kind of captures the main components of that resurgence that you spoke about. So how these sweaters were around at a certain time and knitted by uh, various grandmothers, often uh, ended up in thrift stores, um, kind of uh, lost their, uh, they weren't uh, kind of tossed aside, I guess. And then these sweaters kind of come alive and try to bring back the spirit of Christmas by enhancing uh, that connection, um, the generosity and that kindness. Well, I, I will say that there is something that's really disarming about someone wearing a, an ugly Christmas sweater. So I understand exactly what you're talking about when you, when you touch on, you know, kind of the kindness and sort of the, the warm moments that you're able to have when someone is just allowing themselves to be silly and to wear one one of them. And, and what a great idea to try to capture a little bit of that in in a book. So the Ugly Christmas Sweater Rebellion is uh, a children's book meant for meant for who? Are you targeting a specific age here? What who do you intend this book to be for, Jordan? Yeah, I mean, when we wrote it, um, we just wrote it because that was what we felt compelled to do. So um, we we've noticed that a variety of demographics, including kids, you know, seven, eight, and under, um, even parents reading with their children. Um, really get a kick out of it um it's also a great coffee table book um i don't know if you've ever remembered that book uh in the 2000s was that awkward family photos which is that um if you ever opened that book it really made you crack and laugh and told a bit of a story and we feel it was a great coffee table book and so the sweater rebellion was kind of mirrors that 
um, everyone's having parties and little, you know, um, sweater events these days. So that book fits well. Um, we have noticed as well, it's been um, picked up by a lot of uh, district librarians from where we live and also uh, elementary school teachers um, that are uh, building it or including it as part of their holiday curriculum and building um, further curriculum around it, as particularly the values of connecting, giving, and being kind. Um, so we love it. I read it with my kids almost every day, uh, 12 months of the year. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, it, uh, books are interesting, right? You never know who it's going to pick up or who's going to pick it up and who it's going to impact. So um, we don't have a lot of importance on who it's for. It's really just, uh, like Chris said, capture that values ethos and um, make sure that the origin of this stays true to uh, why it all began, because it did all start with a sweater. Well, I will say that as a, a parent of an 18-month-old, we do a lot of book reading, and I really appreciate that it rhymes, because those are obviously the really fun ones for parents to read over <laughs> and over and over, which, as you know, sometimes you tend to do. Chris, what about the proceeds from the Ugly Christmas Sweater Rebellion? Where can you get it, and what does the money go to? So, uh, yeah, so the book, we have a website, uh, uh, com. Uh, that's for the hardcover. Uh, soft cover can be found on on Amazon. There is that giving component. Um, so, with the purchase of a book, we do pay for a meal for uh, a child in need. So, we partner up with some uh, a local uh, food bank or charity just to execute that. Um, so, yeah, depending on what uh, what you're looking for, um, hardcover, soft cover, it should be pretty easy to find if you Google "ugly Christmas sweater book." Well, I can't wait to check it out, and I commend you both for turning something that was meant to be just fun and silly into something that's making such a huge impact. Uh, thank you both so much for being here. Chris Boyd and Jordan Birch, the authors of The Ugly Christmas Sweater Rebellion. Uh, thank you both, and take care. Thank you, Chelsea. Yeah, thanks for having us. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas.